July 10th, if you're listening to our podcast at home, while you're working, whatever it is that you're doing. I'm here as always with Anne Bazinga. Hi. How's it going, guys? Going okay. Emma, how are you? Emma, the intern, is here as well. I'm good. And we have, I am pumped, we have a special, special guest today. He occupies what I would call a placer in our hearts. And oh my God! Owls me weekly, <laughs> and that is the VP of marketing for Placer.ai, and that is Ethan Chernowski. Ethan, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, we're excited. I know, I know a lot of a lot of our loyal followers have seen the work that we've done together. You know, gosh, going on almost a year now. Yeah. Um, and it's driven a lot of interest. So it's fun to have you on. We'll get some good chit chat going here, and. Uh, yeah, so you're calling you're calling in from Israel, right? You're, so where are you exactly? So I am based in our Tel Aviv office in Israel at the moment, right out in a suburb right outside of Tel Aviv. But uh, yeah, you know, bringing an international flavor to the to the show today. Exactly right. What time is it there? It is six thirty. Six thirty, and it's about ten thirty right now here in Minneapolis as we record this. So awesome! Well, it's good to have you, man. Hey, why, before we get started, tell people a little bit about Placer. What is it? Sure. So Placer AI is a location analytics and foot traffic data company. And what we do is we leverage uh, AI and machine learning to show what is happening offline at any location anywhere in the United States. So we love to say that people vote with their feet and our platform is showing you how people are voting every single day. Yeah, you guys have, I mean, I've, I think I've put it out on social probably about a hundred times now, but the, the, the new tracker, what's it called? S- square, it's called the square tracker, right? right. And yeah, it, so. you can see anything there. Like I literally look by day. Bed Bath had their announcement yesterday. I'm looking at their traffic by day. I'm looking at Macy's. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Like what's what's captivating your mind right now out in the industry? So I think that, I mean, one one area that I'm I'm really excited about, and I think that there's a tremendous amount of potential is the is this home goods space. Okay. So, uh, this kind of initial spike of of interest around like home improvement and the Lowe's and Home Depot. Seeing that move to, you know, Tuesday morning at home, Bed Bath & Beyond, Pier 1, like even though the, some of these guys are closing, that's a really interesting trend that could have some real carry over the next few months. Yeah, that's interesting. I know we're going to talk about off-price here later too. I think it's like headline number two. So we'll get to that too. You also, you had a cool piece I thought this week on on kind of New York. And, you know, the whole idea here for me was like New York was, you know, hit with it very hard in the beginning with the pandemic. And then they've slowly started to reopen. And so they kind of went through everything before everybody else. So you should be able to use them kind of as a litmus test to see how things are going to recalibrate. What are some of the early things that you were seeing that you talked about in your article this week? So I think the early signs from New York, and New York is so critical because for a lot of these big brands that we love to talk about, it's in that, that top three or four states in terms of the number of locations. Mm-hmm. And so anything from a Starbucks to a Costco to even kind of the off-price brands we were talking about, that's where they have such a large uh, density of stores. And so when you see it start opening, that's part of the reason that you're seeing this uptick for a lot of these brands, even though in other areas of the country like Florida or Texas, things were kind of, the virus was resurging and you know uh, 
people were a little bit more hesitant to go out. So it's a really important state. I think they're being really careful about how they roll things out. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. Yeah, and that's a tough dynamic. I know you and I are always, are always talking about that offline too, about like just how many stores are actually open across the country, across all these chains. And you guys are tracking that on a pretty regular basis too in the data that you have as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, an offline store is so dependent on being open. And that, that's, open. Such an, that, that's such an obvious statement, but in today's current environment, it's such a critical thing to remind people of. So when we look at, at brands that are quote unquote underperforming, it's like, yeah, but California isn't open and they have a third of their stores there. So obviously they're going to feel that pain a little bit more. And I think it's, it's going to be really interesting is do we see, especially these real nationwide brands, do we see them start to disperse themselves more and try to not have that same center in just a few areas? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Have you seen anyone try to do that yet? Or are you thinking that's just kind of going to be a, a way people try to approach this problem as we move forward? Not yet. I mean, we'll see yeah. where, where these, I mean, you know, time. these guys are announcing that they're closing stores. So where are they going to close stores? will give us a really good indication. And you know, these, you know, Nike said they were going to open 200 stores for yeah. the last few years. So where those stores come, that'll be a really interesting sign of how this might progress. Yeah, and probably dependent on how things still play out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's get to the show. We've got Emma in New York. She's back home in New York. And and you're in Third House, right? Oh, I'm here. Third House is open. We are open Third for House business. Third House is open this week. Yeah, yes. So if you're in the Minneapolis area, you are looking for a workspace, or even more importantly, if you're trying to plan your your Q4 strategies and uh, and tactics after the a few announcements we have later in the Fast Five today, uh, we are open. We have a, a ton of space that can accommodate large meetings too. So if you want to do those in person, we're here to help you out. Yeah, if you need 6,000 square feet of open space to have a strategy meeting about what the hell to do around Black Friday, as we'll talk about in headline number five, Third House in Minneapolis is the place for you. (laughs) All right, let's get to it. So first, our sponsor read for today, our sponsors, of course, Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. All right, I've got headline number one here today, and I think this one is, I think this one's huge. This, this could be the biggest possible announcement. At this point, it's a rumor, but possibly the biggest rumor of 2020, and that is that Walmart will now launch its Amazon Prime competitor in July. So according to the, according to, excuse me, what I ha- who I always call the indefatigable Jason Del Rey of Recode, Walmart plans to launch a new subscription service that it's dubbed Walmart Plus, and it'll cost $98 a year. It'll include perks like same-day delivery of groceries and general merch, as well as discounts on fuel at their gas stations and also early access to, product, to products and deals. Now, keep in mind, Amazon Prime members currently pay $119 per year and and Amazon has about 150 million users globally, but Walmart Plus rumored to be $98 a year. All right, let's open it up. What do you guys think? And let's start with you. I love it. 
I mean, finally, I feel like this has been the week of Walmart again, where we could just do stories entirely on Walmart. But I think that what we're starting to see here that's really magical is finally Walmart Plus is giving people a reason to get the subscription service. You're starting to see content, including original and shoppable content that, you know, Walmart's never offered before in their partnerships with um, doing this camp collaboration and then bringing on um, the head of uh, Tribeca Film as a consultant in the types of uh, curated videos and movies that they're showing in their drive-ins in the Walmart stores, which is another brilliant idea. Like, way to go, Walmart, way to use your space to the fullest extent and and really give people a reason to stick with you. But then I think you start to look at other things like the healthcare facilities, health insurance that they're starting to get into. Um, and when you look at the the marketplace that Walmart is building, I mean, their partnership with ThreadUp alone, they're starting right. to give people access to better brands and to more brands. And then to cap it off, you have the you know thousands of stores around the country that they also have to connect to this Amazon or sorry to the Walmart Plus program. So I, I was a little hesitant earlier in the year when we started talking yeah. about it, but I think now they're they're really giving you a reason to to sign up and to subscribe. Yeah, that's right. I remember we debated this probably it was like March or April or February or whatever when it was rumored to happen earlier in the year. I'm sure the pandemic's changed all that. But yeah, you were a little bit different on it. But yeah, it's seemingly of of late, I mean Walmart is figuring out how to use the stores, quote unquote, as it's the center of its omni-channel flywheel. And that is just something that Amazon can't touch. And even if they want to, it's going to take years for them to build that out infrastructurally. So Ethan, what are you seeing in terms of what's happened with the pandemic, traffic to Walmart? What's your perspective on on this story, given what you see day in and day out? I think Walmart is such a giant and such a strong player in this space that no one comes near that essentially anything could happen other than the complete abolishment of offline retail and they would still be strong and fine. Right. I think Interesting. The only, I think the only thing that when you think about when you think about something like this and like how are they gonna, you know, how are they gonna do move into this really digital space of you know the membership program is how do they do it in a Walmart way? Because I think if anything, you think about like the jet acquisition. Right. The elements, there are clearly benefits of that, but the elements that didn't work were they tried to bring in something that wasn't them. So, so long as Walmart stays Walmart, I think they can do whatever they want and they'll do it well. If they move away from that, that's when they're going to find trouble. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's what we always say. I think that's why I always write in my writing, which is, you know, you have to stay true to the brand promise. And what's the brand promise, right? It's save money, live better. But for 98 bucks, man, you can get a lot of scale and how you can help people do that. Whether it's like, you know, food pickup programs for people that maybe, you know, are disadvantaged, you know, through the store on their way home from work. It's like Ann said, like, how do you entertain the kids with the camp program or the parking, you know, the parking lot movies in this store, the healthcare facilities, they they also need, I don't know if you guys saw this today, but they're also getting into health insurance plans. Now they confirmed that rumor as well. All of this can be an extension off of this. And all of it is with the store as the center of the file. Emma, what do you think? Gen Z perspective, Walmart. New York, you different, well, I was, kind of a different vantage point for you than everyone else. We don't have a Walmart anywhere near me here, and I have never been to one in Minneapolis either. However, I went to one in Michigan, and I was like blown away. I was like, why am I not shopping at Walmart? And I've never been much of a Walmart or Amazon person, but like Walmart was just amazing. So I'm definitely all for this, and I think it might actually be something I sign up for. 
Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to write about this. It's so funny you said that, Anna, because one of the things I wrote the title, I'm gonna save that because I'm gonna, I can't tease that one because the title's important. But at the, I think what I'm gonna write in the piece is actually, you know who needs to be scared about this is actually Target because it takes the expect more pay less angle of what Target does and puts it in a different lens through the digital activation of it. And Target probably, quite frankly, needs to start thinking about that to a greater degree than it has. Now it's done that with all its omni-channel capabilities but that's fulfillment. That's great. But what are all the other things that you can do to defend yourself against what is going to be Amazon and Walmart continuing to put the pre- put the pressure on what they can do through these membership type programs? All right. Well, let's go to story number two. This one has been a hot debate across Anne, Ethan, and myself for many weeks now on social media. So this one's going to be fun. But Emma, why don't you kick us off? All right. Harrods, the iconic London department store, has opened its first outlet store while laying off hundreds of staff. So during the shutdowns, as one can expect, unsold goods piled up at Harrods Million Square Foot flagship store in London. So they decided to open an 80,000 square foot outlet store to sell an edited version of the brands available at the original site. And, you know, we've all been seeing this trend for months. And I definitely love the off-price concept. I definitely think if you have all this merchandise that clearly isn't going to sell at full price, like you might as well do some kind of off-price outlet concept. But at the same time, I'm starting to question, you know, is this really going to work? Is this going to save these businesses in the long run? Yeah, exactly. And I I think the other point I'd add too, I'm just like, I don't know that they have a choice, right? I was reading some of the statistics and some of the articles here, like their typical space in Nicebridge is a million square feet. They get 80,000 people a day into that space. And normally for them to move through all the clearance they have in the store, it takes them four weeks with 80,000 people going through that store. The report I read also said that right now they're capped at how many people can come through the store. And that's 4,500 people a day. It's so madness. It's, it's, isn't that crazy? Have you been to that store before? I have. Yeah. yeah. I used to, when I w- lived in London during college, I lived across the street. For some reason, they thought it'd be a good idea to set up a bunch of college kids in Knightsbridge, uh, which was a terrible place for us to live. Awesome. Um, but awesome. It is. It's way, way too high end for, uh, a, bunch for of, a bunch of kids that were just trying to buy, you know, Newcastle 40s and hit the tube and go somewhere else. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, even I'm curious what you think about this. I've been having some conversations with people. We, uh, we had a third house member in here, Brian Landon, this week, and we were just talking about the idea of if all the department stores are just starting to go this way, if they're not able to be successful as a department store at full price, do you think we're going to just start to see all of these department stores turn into off-price department stores? I mean, so first of all, I think the dynamics in England are fundamentally different than in America. And like, I I also, like I did my master's there. I lived there for a little while. Like it's it's a different place and there's a different culture and it's wonderful, but it's different. I don't love everyone going off-price. I think these guys, the guys who do off price really well, really know what they're doing and they're all in on it and there's no games. They know how to nail this. I, I, it's the same thing we were saying about Walmart. I worry about people trying to go out of their comfort zone as opposed to find innovation within it. And so, you know, take Macy's as an example. Do, did story, was it the greatest idea in the world? Was their market idea the greatest idea in the world? Maybe not. But it, I, don't, I don't know that I care. I'd rather see Macy's innovate with ideas that feel like Macy's than them than try to say, all right, how do we create our own Burlington or TJ Maxx or whatever? And I think those are the ideas that tend to last the longest and be the most exciting for the customers who already have a relationship with the brand. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it takes, it's a whole different muscle memory to do that business. Well, I mean, I was talking with somebody about that last week, a mentor, you know, like how you procure the products different, how you merchandise the product is different. Like your whole supply chain is different Like you can't just do it because you want to, I think you're right. We go back to what's your brand promise. I think the sad reality though, or the, or the layer I would add to it is I feel like even though we're all saying that, uh, you're going to see retailers do it. Like you're going to see retailers gravitate towards it because they just need to clear through the price and dropping price is a great way to move through volume. It's not actually that dissimilar to like what happened as Walmart started to build their super centers in the eighties, you know, and came, what happened with Kmart and, and, and Sears and, and how they responded. And so now I think you're going to see everyone move that way and respond. And that's just going to be who can do it the best. Ethan, what do you think? Uh, so I'll tell you, I have, this is, this is fresh off conversation and has no backing whatsoever. Perfect. <laughs> so Good so take, that, take that into, into consideration, but I want to know who's going to go into the mall with a department store S concept, whether it's going to be a target or a Walmart or somebody else, because space is going to be cleared. The rents are going to be cheaper. Someone's going to take a chance. And a lot of these brands have such great relationships with direct to consumer brands. You could create this insanely cool mall experience and whoever does that first that's the one that i'll be cheering agree and go yeah oh i was just gonna say my my guess is based off of the reports by 2025 that cnbc put out that we'll need one billion dollars or sorry one billion square feet of warehouse space for all of these warehouses that that will be a key component of those malls filling those anchor stores but simply speculation. I think one one other point that I want to make um, is if we do see the retailers, I know that they're not, so Macy's, they're not into the, they're not the TJXs of the world where they're saying, we don't care, we're, we're not doing e-commerce. The question that I want to raise to you guys though is they do have all of this product that's going off price online. So if they do decide to go into this off-price sector, I mean, we look at Nordstrom Rack, like there is something very valuable to being able to still have that thrill of the hunt. But, you know, if we look at turning the the TJ Maxx's or the, the Macy's, you know, if they go to the Macy's off-price brand, to be able to even have those locations as pickup centers or some mm-hmm. some place where you, if you can't go in the store, Macy's or, you know, Nordstrom, Rack, all these other department stores are going to be able to do that and survive where a TJ Maxx or a Ross store might not be able to do that. That's a really good point. And I mean, I think, and the question of whether, how well Macy's can do that too, I think is probably still Nordstrom's for Fair. sure. Like how well Macy's, but Macy's should be able to stand that up quicker than a TJ Maxx or Burlington to your point. But that is the big question. I mean, Ethan, I talked about the tracker before that, that you guys put out, that's the thing I'm watching like a hawk is like, you know, these companies have said, we're going to stick with stores. We're not going to build out our digital capabilities. And as there's all this inventory to liquidate and we don't know who's going to be able to open and how much people are going to want to shop, that's still a big question. Are you seeing anything that points one way or the other right now on what Ann's talking about and how that's going to play out? Because that is interesting. It's a strategic angle of how someone could attack this market over the next year and a half opportunistically. Nothing yet. Meaning like the off-price guys are doing really well, especially, you know, relative to the environment. Their trend is surging, right? Yeah, their trend is surging up. The only things that are impacting them are states having trouble, like so COVID resurgence. They're still below baseline, but it's to basically yeah, because of yeah, state but it's working its way yeah. really, really quickly okay. towards that towards that okay. level. And again, it's 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 the New York, Texas, California, Florida problem. Of most of these brands have most of their stores in those locations, and so you're always going to see 
that be the area that always, you know, whenever COVID has this kind of resurgence, that's where it's going to have its impact. Um, but I, I, again, I, I, I love the fact in some ways that Burlington says we're not going to have e-commerce because I want, when Burlington does e-commerce, I want it to be Burlington style e-commerce. I want them right. to say, here's where you get, oh, we don't have this item that you'd want. Here's a station that's set up where you can easily find it and then maybe deliver that to your house. But not this, I don't want them to run into the muck of now needing to deliver and dealing with returns and deal with all the distribution questions that come with that. I think that process of do things in the way that fits you is a weird random example. Look, Chick-fil-A, how many people have said you can't be successful if you're not open on Sundays? And they essentially have stuck a finger up to the entire fast food industry and said, no, we're going to succeed by doing our thing really, really well. And actually it's going to help us. And so that's, that's where I'm like, where I fall in love with brands is where they really embrace their promise and deliver on their promise. Yeah. And we said that before this even happened, before the pandemic even happened, that was kind of my take too. Is like Burlington, good for you. Like, if you don't know the answer, don't go spend a lot of money trying to figure out a stupid answer. Like that's, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense either. Uh, the cool thing about COVID is I think it now makes maybe what that answer could be a little more uh, apparent. Um, but lastly, to close, I think back to your point, Ethan, too, about, you know, what happens to the department store. I th- let's bring the Amazon conversation into this again, like, or, you know, dynamic into this conversation. You know, there's been the rumors of JCPenney's, there's been a rumor of Macy's. The question I would almost throw out there is, are we looking at a reinvention of the department store? Or are we looking at a reinvention of the mall where the mall acts almost in the same way as a department store through Amazon's back end and their fulfillment technologies, to your point, and too? I think that's where I see something headed. Or some enterprising VC could come in there with some money and get some people to try to figure that out. It's it's ripe for the taking, though. Yeah. Do you want to see Amazon buy someone, though? I mean, Amazon bought Whole Foods. Is Whole Foods better or is Amazon better as as a result? I think this is a great question. I don't necessarily want to see them buy the brand. I think I'm more just interested in them buying the real estate and starting to leverage their power to do that, I think, is where I would put that. And anything you'd add there? No, I was going to jump us to the next story. I'm sorry, Ethan. I totally cut you off. No, you want to keep us moving along? No, okay. I'm, just trying to keep, I'm just trying to keep it spicy because I know that if we start talking about Amazon and JCPenney again, it's going to get into this. We're, we're going to have a totally different podcast. It's going to get saucy. All right. Anne's just really anxious to talk electronic payments. So anxious. <laughs> Nothing it, gets Anne. me going like electronic payments. Um <laughs> So story number three, Venmo has announced that they're piloting something called business profiles, and they're going to let a limited number of users, um, including sole proprietors, casual sellers, and users with a side hustle to uh, create a different Venmo profile that will help them accept payments for the goods and services. So um, right now, Venmo uh, also offers, they're going to let you do QR codes for touchless transactions. You can have a customizable business page with this. So it's similar to what um, small businesses could do on, say, a Square platform. Venmo is going to allow you to have a business profile within the kind of social feed um, as people are paying you. So I, I posted about this on LinkedIn this week. I love this for the gig economy. Do you guys, are you guys using Venmo for like outside of just peer to peer payments? Have you guys used that at all for like haircuts or tattoos, you know, tattoos? Mrs. Omnitalk uses it all the time. She used it, used it for a Facebook marketplace transaction uh, the other day, but, but Emma, you're 60 years younger than me. Like you probably use it all the time, right? (laughs) I do use it all the time. I'll do it. Like I follow one Instagram account, which is like a trade and sell clothing, use it for that. I've paid for like house plants 
via Venmo before. I mostly use it peer to peer, but I have paid businesses with Venmo. You say you paid for a house plant? Is that what you said? I just want to make sure I heard that right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Things I did not Facebook know yesterday. Market, was that on through a seller directly on Instagram, Emma, or was that through like Facebook Marketplace? It was actually someone selling. They set up like a table on campus to sell their okay. plants just outside of their dorm and asked for Venmo. It's amazing. I mean, it, it, I, go ahead, Chris. No, I was going to say, I was just going to ask Ethan. I know electronic payments are very different over in Israel too. Like how does this play in for you guys over there, this type of store? I mean, there's a lot of them. And then, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I don't really use Venmo, but like I, I'm, I'm old too. <laughs> so like, I mean, so I don't know. I, I think it's, it sounds really cool. I don't have a great opinion on this. So I just agree. I'll agree with Anne. And what do you think from the perspective of like a small business and always agreeing with Anne, it's a good strategy. It's a good, you can never go wrong with that. What about from the perspective of small businesses, gym ownership, things like that? How are you thinking about it? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the benefit here, like I said, going back to the alternative for these small businesses, say that you're, um, you have a, a chair at a salon. I mean, the benefit here is that you can, you can leverage. I mean, Venmo has a huge social interaction. Every time you pay somebody that's posted in a live feed. So anybody that's in your list of contacts, you can see who they're paying for the haircut. And now that you give for the haircut example, now you give a salon, um, owner or someone who owns a chair in a salon, the ability to get exposure on that through that social interaction, they can go directly to the page. And then the salon uh, chair owner is not paying the fees that you'd pay with a square. It's like, I think they said that they're going to do like 1.9% fees for all the transactions that are happening through this business Venmo platform. So I just, it gives people a lot more flexibility. You don't need to have a bank account set up. You can, you know, all of your, your money can just be fed directly into this Venmo account. And then all the accounting and backend stuff for taxes is handled separately too. So it's, I think it's going to be very valuable, uh, especially right now in this economy as people are getting, getting their own side hustles and, and, um, and work going again. That's fast. That's a fascinating angle. The social dynamic of it is something I hadn't even thought about or considered when reading that story, like the two or three times that I read it this week. Um, Awesome. All right. Well, Emma, let's keep it rolling. Let's segue into what is more possibly millennial and Gen Z news. And that has to do with Instagram. All right. Instagram is swapping out its activity tab for the shop tab in a small global test. So your activity tab usually sits on your navigation bar as a heart. And for some people, it's going to switch over to shops shopping bag icon. And from there, users will be able to filter products by categories as they can today via the existing shop experience within Instagram Explorer. Your activity tab is still going to exist. You just have to do a little digging on it on your profile page. And so this doesn't sound like much, but it's actually a really bold move on Instagram's part. That activity heart has been in that place since the beginning. And in terms of a test, I think that this is actually a really cool way to see how much usage shop is going to get. And it's just really forcing people to, you know, experience the shop concept. However, I'm kind of skeptical. I don't really like that they're moving the activity tab. I'm like, I'm, I just don't think, I think it's really forced, you know? Ooh, say more. Why? What, what, is, what is the downside of the movement of the activity tab? It's just like Instagram is social media. It started out for social media, all about making connections with people. And your activity tab really kind of does that. It lets you see who's interacting with your post. And you used to be able to see what other people were doing that you followed. 
And when you move it, I think you're taking away some of that like connection and social media experience and forcing the commerce aspect onto people. And point of clarification, right? It's just being moved. It's not going away. They're just moving it to a different just location moved. within the app, right? Like that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to hear you say that. I'm curious. Let's eat it. What are you? You're an Instagram guy, aren't you? You have like all these secret Instagram follows. I <laughs> oh, bet. Like what? 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 What's your? What's your kind of Instagram usage here? I, I look. I. I Again, I, I'm like a, I have multiple children. I have, I am not cool. I find no value in Instagram. Like, um, I know sad, but, but it's, it's just the case. I, what I, what I do worry about is first of all, I always loved snap in this battle. Cause I felt like snap was innovating faster and Facebook was Instagram was just, you know, catching up or kind of stealing ideas. So I always kind of put my hat on the, on the innovator, but then even more like, one of the big mistakes that happened when Facebook for kind of first came out or became like a real business is people doubted the long-term longevity of the actual business, but they forgot that your audience gets older and doesn't leave channels. And like, so the value I bring to Facebook now as, you know, a 30 something year old adult is much more than as an 18 year old, you know, kid. And so I feel like Instagram don't push it. If you have this amazing audience that loves the app, that doesn't want to leave, that wants to have this great experience there, like, it should be the center because you're, the business opportunities are going to come. But if you force them, you're going to push people away and there's other options. That's really interesting. Okay, so the last two points are really interesting to put together too because I actually would argue, and I, I, we'll go to Ann next on this because I would actually argue this is endemic to what people want from Instagram. We asked this question, uh, what's your favorite social app at the end of every Spotlight podcast we do? And the answer is almost now becoming universally Instagram. And when we double click in and we ask why, usually what they say is it's become the replacement for my magazine. Like it's become the replacement for Vogue. It's become the replacement for, you know, fill in the blank. And that's how I curate, you know, everything that I want to see in there. So, so what I think is interesting that they're not, not only are they allowing shop in there, they're going to do curated collections from there. And it gets on to this point that we've talked about where, it allows them to take a personalized editorial point of view towards merchandising to that mindset that people are endemically in around discovery and inspiration, which has never yet happened in the world of e-commerce. It's still completely untapped ground. So that's the angle I would, I, that I think is, is there as well, which probably why I'm more on the fence of loving this move. But Anne, what do you think? Am I nuts or are you kind of more where kind of Ethan and Emma You guys, this is game over. This is game wow. over. This is shopping as we know it. This is a 100% personalized and personalized, not just like for Anne in, you know, 2020, this is the stuff that I want to shop. This is personalized to the, in real time shopping experience for me. I mean, I, I I'm already looking at, you know, you're scrolling through your Instagram account and how many times does it happen to you guys? I mean, for me, it's at least once or twice a day where I'm scrolling through and I happen upon something that I wasn't, I just posted about last week. I wasn't looking for a new work bag. I'm coming into the same place every day or working from home, but suddenly I see this Rebecca Minkoff bag and I'm compelled to go into it. And I find myself, you know, five minutes later in the, in my cart, with a Rebecca Minkoff bag and wallet matching set because I've been inspired. I've been discovered, you know, this is discovering product that I didn't know I needed. And especially in a time when we're not able to physically go out shopping, this is, is shopping coming to us in a very personalized way. And so this is so much more than a UX update for Instagram. It's, 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah wow. I, oh, interesting. LinkedIn. The LinkedIn chat are starting to go on the other side of us, Anne, on this one. So this is fascinating. Oh, no. Yeah. The LinkedIn live chat. This is fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I think you think too. Like they have the Shopify integration. I mean, the other thing is you stay in platform now to shop through through Instagram. Well, some that's too. there's a like point of that. clarification there too, because not all of this shopping section is going to. to happen inside no. the sh- the app right now, which way. I think right. is a really good thing to call out because that that does kind of get away from the whole point of staying in app, but does yeah it'll hopefully more difficult to engage as opposed to more difficult to shop so i guess the question is if i'm Mm -hmm. the type of person who says i'm I'm gonna i want to buy something oh my god i'm inspired by this i'm probably willing to do a click and a click whereas if i'm there to like interact with people and i'm that younger generation which is what instagram is, is is chasing instagram and snap are both going after this this tiktok audience because that's where they're your money's going to be made in the long term. And if you lose people because you've made it more about selling something than giving me the experience that's fun, I, I think you're going you're gonna to regret the, the move. But um, I, one, yeah. one other clarify, clarifier there, though, Ethan, is that this is a separate tab entirely. So this is that's like fair. going into the mindset. I, don't know I, want, I want to shop versus, well, no, I think that- I, Which you I qualified think you're in the beginning very well. Yeah. That's fine. Well, I think but you're Facebook right, though. Could, in theory, work the same way. So it's not, sure. and it probably will. So I think we should just keep that in mind. But Ethan's right. I think it, it changes the dynamic if, if instead of just, you know, following and connecting with one another, which is what I want to do in one mindset on one page of Instagram, if, if they started to penetrate that to a point where you don't get to yeah. see that you're seeing ad after ad after ad, it, it's not going to be a good experience. Ethan's right. And you like have when, to- you put, when you put like a, like a personal note, like, oh, happy birthday to, you know, to whoever. And I want to tell you how much I love them on LinkedIn. And you're reading it, you're like, this is really sweet, but it doesn't belong here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's do things in their right place and people will find them and embrace them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the one thing I would add to, and when you and I, I thought of this this morning in preparation, like when you and I were running Store of the Future, one of the things I used to get really frustrated about is people would say Amazon was not a personalized experience to me. It was a very, and I always argued with them because what I would do when we were running that, when we were running that, that project, I would actually just go on Amazon and see how well it knew me. And it would serve up cool, cool stuff for me. I just go onto the homepage. And now you're basically saying, Instagram, do that. And you can do it even better because you know me so much better than Amazon does because of how I'm scrolling through everything. Yes. yes. And as long as, Ethan, to your point, as long as you can keep that UX and Dan listening on LinkedIn, as long as you can keep that UX working well, which God knows they're going to QA test that forever, I think it can work. So, all right, well, let's segue to Amazon to close us up. There are leaked emails that are, uh, that are indicating that Amazon is now planning Prime Day on October 5th. Business Insider acquired a company email that supposedly went out to third-party sellers telling them to place hold the date for Amazon's next Prime Day. Holy cow. What do you guys think? Emma, are you geared up for Prime Day October 5th? I've actually never even looked at Prime Day before. And oh my God, we I guess I'll have last to, year. It was fantastic. <laughs> I'll have to give it a give it a go, see what's up. Nice. So, yeah. Ethan, what how how will this impact what you guys do and how you monitor traffic? Like how are you thinking yeah. about this already? This has got to be a big deal for you guys. So I mean the genius of Amazon is that they view things holistically. And so what we were looking at, we looked at 2018 on Prime Day. 
Whole Foods had all these great campaigns that would integrate that whole experience and nobody else did. And then a year later, Walmart dove in and Target dove in and a bunch of others. And you see these spikes in offline traffic because of Prime Day. And so it's one of my, first of all, it's the, the you know, Amazon as the, the king that it is in terms of cre- creating a holiday that they can dictate when and where and we'll all go along with it. And then it's so strong that I can, I can as, as Target or Walmart, say it's my competitor's made-up holiday and I'm going to benefit from it. And does, now, does that rationale require that your stores are open and running at capacity? Or like, how does the factor of the pandemic play into that for you? Ooh, I don't know. It'll depend on yeah. where we are at that stage. Target and Walmart, I mean, Target's already up year over year again. So like, I, I think they'll be in a good stage and Walmart will be in a good stage. Some of these yeah. kind of mall-oriented retailers that might have had campaigns around it, maybe it's yeah. going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and then I think the other trick is October 5th is a month away from Black Friday. So, and like, what do you think in terms of the Black Friday impact, both online and stores to what Ethan's talking about? I don't know. I mean, yeah, first of hard. all, I just feel like we need to take a moment of silence for all those poor merchandisers and buyers out there at Target and Walmart who are just like, what? I can't possibly do any more. And now I'm going to have to try to figure out Amazon. Yeah, from home. Now I'm going to have to figure out Prime Day in October. I mean, I here's the thing. I think the economy is still going to play a huge role in whether or not this is has the impact, I guess, that we we all think it's going to. And I say that because of a couple of things. I mean, there's a Black Friday angle. I think where we all know it, we're going to have a holiday this year is just a big open question mark for a lot of people. Um, What people's spending power will look like in October versus, you know, what it would have looked like in July right now, where people are still getting unemployment, added unemployment benefits and have some extra cash flow. I think it's going to be a very different picture in October. And, um, and especially when you start to look at, you know, Emma's generation um, and they are buying experiences and, and when you can't buy experiences because you can't go to a lot of places, there's not a lot of money being spent on travel. Will that, you know, help prime day and help these people spending more money on things like they're getting Apple AirPods for, you know, Christmas or Hanukkah instead of getting an an experience. I don't know. I think, um, yeah, it's going to, the economy for me is the number one thing that's going to play into this. And then secondarily, I think, um, just shipping and what happens. And I, I honestly don't know how that is going to play into, into being able to, for these market, Amazon marketplace providers to be able to um, make Prime Day successful in October, especially if there's a second wave of the virus that time of year too. Yeah, I mean, th- I, I think said a lot there, but you there's did. a lot of things. You did. There's a lot I, there. I mean, kind of a mind flow of like just all of the things that. No, it's you know, it's an important story. There's a lot on your mind. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, you know, we predict. I went on record and predicted that Amazon would actually do this and preempt Black right. Friday with a Prime Day three years ago. Right. Um, now, this is partly probably a pandemic response, but also from a strategic perspective, it's not a bad move to delay this and put this right before right before Black Friday. Um, and so you have to start to you have to start to wonder. It's a wake up call, I think, for the whole industry of like, OK, what the hell are we going to do? And we can't just keep thinking stores are going to be open for Black Friday. We can't think the crowds are going to amass the way they used to and that we're going to be able to drive that volume. And you're right, Ian, like if I'm a buyer trying to figure this out, boy, I'm in hell right now. And my heart goes out to all of them. Right. So I keep saying, and I will keep stumping this. And I know you put it on LinkedIn too, which is take the strategic point of view of what do you do if your stores aren't open and how do you respond? And that's what Amazon is. 
that's how they operate day in and day out. So how are you going to respond to that if they start to take Black Friday away from you the way that you used to know it? I just read an article this morning, live streaming in China. Retailers are doing 70% of the volume they used to know prior to the pandemic just through live stream activity, not counting e-commerce, not counting anything else, just through that. So how do you as retailers, I talked about this with Retail Dive on a webinar on Monday, how do you as retailers mash up e-commerce, live streaming, deal buys like you used to see it, like guilt and everything, the fever that comes with that, curbside pickup, concierge shopping, and make that all happen by day for the next two months from October through December to figure out what the hell to do to move through some units and to do it in a way, to Ethan's point, that works with your brand, that stays with your promise, but also means something to your consumers. So I think they've got to wake up because this could be really damaging and really damaging if stores aren't open. Ethan, final word as our guest. I mean, I, I obviously think Prime Day is like a huge play. I, I just feel like the one thing we forget is how hard it is to do online well because the distribution is so unbelievably difficult. And so if you're, if you're a retailer and you are not heavily oriented and ready for, or you, you know, your e-commerce oper- operation is not hugely profitable, you need to figure out a way how to integrate that with your offline presence, which is what you were talking about with Walmart. You know, curbside pickup, it's brilliant. You know, the ability to tell someone what I want and then to do that delivery for me, some concierge service. These are the types of moves that for many retailers who can't get their act together from a distribution perspective in the next two months, that's going to be, how do you maximize the end of this year? We'll come on to that. Yeah, great point. That The, the words I used to describe it in the piece three years ago, we made the prediction was death blow uh, for <laughs> those reasons. Like, And the image, I used the GIF, the image was the Death Star destroying Alderaan because that's how quick and fast it could happen. And especially now with what's happening with the pandemic. Is that, right, that quick and fast for those of us who have no idea what the Alderaan is? Alderaan, they blow up the planet. Thing. You know, that's Princess Leia has to watch her planet blow up. But oh, sure. Thanks okay. for always bringing it back. <laughs> for the non-Star Wars people out there, yeah. just giving some context. Thank Which you. Which if you're I mean, a non-Star Wars person, what's down. wrong with you? Star Wars and Instagram, I don't have anything. <laughs> right? We, we, we have to plan cultural references next time as well. That's right. We'll, we'll highlight those first but hey that was awesome we really enjoyed having our guest ethan chernovsky the vp of marketing at placer ai ethan where if people want to learn more about you where can they go next you guys have a cool webinar coming up too right we do we do on tuesday we have a webinar with deborah weinswig from Corsite research that'll be really amazing we're gonna look at the biggest trends for the next year come visit us at placer.ai we have an amazing section called the square with all of our free tools that uh, chris was mentioning and if you want to reach out to me, uh, Ethan at Placer.ai. And guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm like a regular listener. This is so exciting to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. this is awesome. This is awesome. It was we'll fun to do to it have, again. Yeah, it was fun to move it from our LinkedIn chatter to a real <laughs> live format. So thanks for joining us, Ethan. Yeah, always need more people ganging up on me. It always makes a great conversation. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But hey, for all of you out there, thanks for sticking with us. If you're watching us live, we appreciate it. If you're listening to us at home, we appreciate you as well. If you haven't done it yet, please remember to like, review, and subscribe to our podcast and to listen to them wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, be careful out there.